right. Good evening. How's everyone doing tonight? Um, I've got to say, it's always weird teaching uh, to a computer. I, 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 I miss seeing faces. Um, if you don't already know me, uh, my name is Sam. I lead the youth group here at Calvary Chapel. And tonight I am uh, filling in for Pastor Steve. Um, I'll be teaching tonight about King Asa, and we'll be in Second Chron- Second Chronicles, chapter fourteen. Hopefully, hopefully finishing getting all the way through his life in Second Chronicles sixteen. It's a lot of verses. We'll try. So I'm just going to pray, and then and then we can get started. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the worship. Uh, thank you for this time to this time to study your word together. We pray that I pray that these would be your words and that we would be encouraged and we would be built up tonight, that we would be rebuked if rebuked is necessary, and that no matter what, we would see you more clearly tonight. I would that every person hearing would see you more clearly by the you know, in, by the end of the hour. We love you and we need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, we're going to be, like I said, in Second Chronicles um, chapter 14, if you're if you're there, and I'm, I'm not, we're not going to read every verse in chapter 14, 15, and 16, but you can turn there for reference if you'd like. Um, last time I taught, I taught on another, another king. I taught on King Josiah um, a couple times before that. I, I taught about uh, King Jehoram, and um, I like studying the, the, the histories of the Old Testament. Because they show me me, right? They show us us, right? Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? So when we're reading the Bible, even if it's a story from 2,500 years ago, we're talking about before Christ, even if it's a story from a long time ago, God is speaking to us today, um, you know, I remember, I remember a talking with a coworker who's not a Christian and he has some knowledge of the Bible and we were having lunch and he brought up, he knows I'm a Christian and he, he brought up, uh, Satan and he, he said, you know, Satan isn't really a main character in the old Testament. Like he is in the new Testament. And I was like, huh, that's, that's true. You know, he shows up sparingly. He's in Job and he's mentioned in the Psalms and um, but if you really want to find the villain of the Old Testament, right, the villain, this, the, the cause for all of Israel's struggles, um, it's not Satan, it's not Egypt, it's not Babylon or the Midianites. The, the cause for Israel's struggles, the root of it is Israel, right? Israel, at, at, at the end, when, at, when you finish reading the Old Testament, you don't, you don't say, wow. Look at all the trouble that Satan caused Israel. You read it and you think, look at all of the suffering that Israel brought on itself, right? 
Israel as a nation, they obey, they disobey. Um, they're led by men who follow God or don't follow God, or sometimes it's somewhere in between. And when they follow God, the land prospers. Even when, like in Josiah's case, even when the people's heart isn't fully in it, you know, but they have a godly leader, you know, the land prospers. God gives them peace. Um, and when they don't follow God and they they worship idols, there's war, there's turmoil, just every every curse that, that you could imagine comes upon that land. You know, you don't see examples really of the people wanting to follow God without a godly leader. You know, you see the opposite where the people don't want to and there's a godly leader, but you don't see the other way around. And when there's rebellion uh, against God, there's devastation. But when there's repentance, there's restoration. And the king, in the story of King Asa is one of these stories. You know, he ascends to the throne uh, after his father Abijah died. Abijah was the son of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, was the son of David. So that makes him like David's great-great-grandson or something like that. And some commentators say that Asa was a pure stream that came from a tepid pond. In other words, he was a godly man that came from a mediocre place, a mediocre parents. You know, sometimes in scripture, the opposite happens. Um, sometimes like with King Ahaz or King Manasseh, they had godly parents they had their, their the king the king that you know was their dad was a godly man but they rebelled against god and they showed that they hated god in their in their in their actions and scripture is full of this right a, a good king comes from a bad king or a bad king comes from a good king or an ungodly come king comes from so-so parents or so-so king comes from a good or bad. It's all over the place, right? And this, this tells us a couple things, to, you know, before we really dive into it. It tells us a couple things. One is that just because you come from a good home, just because your parents are Christians, your mother is a Christian, you know, maybe your father or your grandparents or someone who raised you, does not mean that you're a Christian. You know, you, you might know how to, how to behave, but when it is your choice, like parents are gone, you know, the, the old king is dead. Now it's my choice. Uh, now it's my cho choice to choose how I want to live. The real me comes out and it's not a me that has ever followed God or wanted to follow God. And I just do my own thing. I rebel. And it's a, like a pattern. It's a pattern in, in, in the Old Testament. When you rebel, devastation follows devastation follows there's this nifty saying that god has no grandchildren only children right he he, he only has your you know his he has no kids that have kids that also are coming into the kingdom of heaven it's only people who decide i know that god exists I know that Jesus died for my sin, not just for the world's sin, but for my sin. And I'm following him. I can't, I can't run away from him anymore. That's it. That's, those are the only people who are the children of God. The, you know, my kids, 
will have to make that choice. We'll have to make that choice. Even if I'm my whole life teaching them about God, just like, just like all these Kings, right? All these Kings, they had the best, some of them had the, the best teachers that you could ever imagine. People will memorize the whole, the whole Bible, but they didn't follow God when, when they grew up. And then the opposite, right? Just because you come from a low place, from a poor place, from an evil place, or an ungodly place, you know, parents that hate God, that hate you, does not mean that you're going to end up that way. Life with God means that no matter what the circumstances that you come from, God can make something new and beautiful out of your life and out of my life, right? If I come from good parents, that just, that doesn't mean that I just have to have a vanilla, a vanilla life, and, you know, it's, oh, it's nice. God can do something new and beautiful with that. Or if I have terrible parents, you know, abusive parents, uh, no parents, you know, uh, God can make something new and beautiful out of that. Scripture is full of this story. In fact, you could probably say that the whole Bible is this story. That in spite of circumstances, terrible, evil, in, in spite of Adam and Eve eating the fruit, in spite of Cain murdering his brother, in spite of humanity's just propensity to rush headlong into evil, in spite of oppressors, in spite of idolaters, in spite of enslavers and traitors and liars and murderers, in spite of all of the suffering that we have endured, that we have brought on ourselves even sometimes, God never fails to redeem he never fails to preserve a remnant. He never fails to make something that is new and even better than before, even more beautiful than before. Even, even if it came from, from something disgusting, right? God can make something that is unexpected and beautiful that, can't, that comes from that. And that was true from eight, for, for Asa, for King Asa, and that is true for you. You know, what suffering and pain has happened to you in the last year or, or in your life, right? Suffering that's not your fault. Someone else did it to you, some, a person, a system, right? And, and it just, it's out, it was out of your control or suffering that was your fault. You did it to yourself, right? The story of the Bible, the story of God's redemptive grace is not just that he did that for Asa, but that he will do that for you. This is a deeply, deeply true thing, right? It's not just true that these things happened. The Bible is so true. The story of Asa is so true that it's like it's still happening today. Do you believe that, Calvary Chapel? That the suffering of the past year, the, the suffering of 2020, 2020 was a year of suffering for people. Do you believe that Christ can redeem it? And that through it, he will do something better than what you had in 2019. I, I don't know. I don't know how. That's not the point. The point is that that's his promise that he will do something better than what you had before, if you will let him. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? This is what, this is what faith is. 
And one thing I know is that Asa, despite having a mediocre father, that he had faith in God to do a work in his life and in the kingdom of Judah. And we see his legacy in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's his legacy. There's, there's no qualifiers. It's just the one simple sentence. He did what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord his God. This is a good man. This is a man who loves the Lord, right? And what did he do? And we'll keep reading in verse, in verse three. We'll go through three through six. It says he removed the foreign altars and the high places, and he smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and his commandments. And he removed the high places and the incense altars in every town in Judah. And the kingdom was at peace under him. And he built up the fortified cities since the land was at peace. And there was no war with him during those years for the Lord gave him rest. Right. Know this for sure that these good works cannot come from a complacent heart. It is impossible to do God's work with a heart that is anything other than a heart of faith. Impossible. You know, if you think I'm doing a good work for God, right? But, you know, Hebrews, you know, in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 11, 6 describes faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you're doing things for God, but let's just, we'll start at the first one. But you think, you know what? I don't really think I even believe in God. The stuff, first of all, you will not be able to keep doing what you're doing. Impossible, right? You won't be able to. Second of all, uh, the stuff that you're doing, the, the, you know, it, the Bible calls it like it's made out of wood and made out of straw, right? When the fire comes, It'll just burn up because it wasn't made with God's stuff. I've got a saying that I made up. I think it's a really great saying. I'm going to put it on a, a shirt one day or something. It's faith is the root and works are the fruit. It, it rhymes. So it's easy to remember. Faith is the root. Works are the fruit. I'm of the opinion that if you aren't serving God in faith, you can't produce fruit. You can't go on. Eventually, you're going to burn out burn, and, and, and it's all going to burn up. And if your faith is in God, then you can't help but produce everlasting fruit. You can't help it. You know, if you, if you, plant, a, if you plant an apple seed in, in, in the ground and its roots go down, it's going to make apples. I'm not, a, I'm not an apple farmer, so I don't know that for sure, but I have done some planting. And, you know, if you plant a seed in the ground, maybe there's some other like farmer stuff that you have to do, right? But if, if you plant a seed in the ground and the roots go down, the tree is going to sprout up and fruit is going to come. But if, you, if, you put, if you put a seed on the cement and you, you ever pour water on it, whatever, nothing, nothing, nothing will come from that. 
right? Just like a tree with no, if a tree doesn't have any roots, you'll crack up and dry up and wither and, and it, it will just all fade away. It'll fade into dust. Asa was going gangbusters for 10 years. What was he doing? He was restoring the true worship of God. He was ridding the land of idolatry and false worship, false worship, and he was restoring the defenses of the land. This was God's work. God's work. This kind of work cannot come from any other place than real, real faith in God. It is impossible, just like we just like we just read. It is impossible to please God without faith. So Asa, he believed God existed first. And he believed that God desired good for him and, and for his country. That's the only, the only motivation for enduring fruit. That's it. If Asa believed that, you know, I'm going to do this because it's for some other reason, that it's the right thing to do, or I'm going to do this uh, because that's what my father was has done and my grandfather and my great-grandfather or like uh, for my ancestors, right? I'm, I'm going to do this for the sake of the people, right? If, if he had some other reason other than this, there's only one real motivation that will result in enduring fruit in real God, in God's work. And that's faith. If, if there's any other mo motivation, if Asa had any other motivation, he would have justified slacking off and then he would have justified just sinning all, all together and doing whatever he wanted. No, Asa had deep faith in God. He believed, and this is Hebrews is, remember, 2,500 years later, it's the same story. Um, or maybe it's 500 years later. We're, we're 2,500 years later today. Anyway, it's just doing some math in my head. Um, it's the same story, though. Asa believed in God, and he believed that God desired good for him. And from that faith, from that place of faith, good works that blessed God's heart and blessed all the people around him, the whole nation, just sprouted out of him. It's, it would be impossible for it to not happen that way. If you're, if you're in Christ, if you are rooted in, with faith in God, it's, it's like you, there's no way to bottle up the, the, the life and the love that God is going to do through you. It, it's going to just explode out of your life. And you know, a person with faith like this, when struggles come, what is their reaction? Their whole life is rooted in God. Asa's whole life was rooted in God. And so when a struggle comes, and the story is not really that compelling without a struggle, because our life is full of struggles, isn't it? Last year was full of struggles, of battles you know, personal battles, you know, nationwide ideological battles. Um, in Ace's case, real battles with swords. 
Can you imagine just, oh, what a terrible time. That's, they used to fight by just running at each other with spears and trying to poke each other until the other person died. Crazy. That's a, that was the battle that Asa was, was going to deal with. And you know, if, we're, if we were to keep reading, I won't because it's kind of long. I want to get through all of this. Asa and his country have, have a, the, the problem of a million-person army coming up from Egypt to, a ch- to attack Judah. And, and they were able to, to muster like barely half that. And this is Asa's prayer. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. In verse 12, And the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. It's beautiful, but what did we expect, right? This is the story of faith, right? This was a man who believed today, today in the day of struggle, today in the day of battle, he believed because he had believed yesterday in God's power. And this beautiful prayer from this man was came from a place of just trust. Of com- He trusted, God, you have never failed me, and you will never fail me. He was committed. He was re- completely reliant on God. And he said, God, I, I know it doesn't matter to you if there's a million or a thousand or 10 million. We have trusted in you until this day, and we trust you on this day. What is, does this remind anyone of, of uh, the parable of the wise man who builds his house on the rock? Matthew 7, 25 um, Matthew 7.25 says, when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Asa built his house, built his life, built his nation on the rock of God. And when the storm came, when the battle came, there was no way that he wouldn't continue to rely on God, and God came through for him. It's a promise of scripture. You know, no doubt he had read his great-great-grandfather, David. No doubt. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. The Lord, my God, is my rock in whom I take refuge my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's Psalm 18.2. If you trust in God, if you build your house on the rock today, if you were building your house on the rock in 2019, then 2020, worst year of my life, maybe many of your lives too, 
If you were building your house on the rock in 2019, in 2020, you stood. If you put your roots down in the word of God when the weather is sunny, right? No COVID, you know, normal, not the new normal. If you put your roots down and you built your house on that firm foundation before the rains come, before the armies come, before the tests come, when they do come, you will stand. That is a promise of scripture. And the opposite is also true. When kings were lazy during peacetime, when they didn't build their house, their life, their nation on the rock, when it was easy, when they faced adversity, a nation coming in, you know, for like trying to take them over, they crumble. They just crumble. They, and they can't, there's nothing else that they can do, right? That, that's just, it's, it's like cause and effect. It's when the rains came for the foolish man. It, he built his house on the sand. What else is going to happen? His house is washed away. And those kings, and it's true for us. I'm not a king. You know, no one waits on me. You know, I don't wear a crown. You know, blah, 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 right? But when those kings crumble, when they crumbled, they took people down with them, right? Don't ever, ever think that the consequences that you incur will be isolated to you ever. Asa's faith saved lives, thousands, tens of thousands, millions. I don't, I don't know how many. His faith, his rock saved lives and your faith will save lives it will you save lives salvation and the opposite is also true a king's lack of faith was devastation for his people and your lack of faith and my failure to build on the rock during the easy times during 2019 leads to pain and suffering in 2020 for me, for the people around me, for the loved ones during the hard times, during the battle, during the 2020s. I think about 2020. I mean, it's 2021 now. It's been about a year. How would you describe your relationships with the people who you loved in 2019, how, how are, so the people who you loved in 2019, your relationships with them, how did that, how'd that go during 2020, during the, this part of 2021? How, how's it going? Is there more anger and frustration and even hatred and just bitterness now than there was in 2019 when the sun was shining, when there was no battles? If that's the case, then it's possible there is some serious repenting to do now before it gets even worse. If now in 2021, I feel more love and unity with people because of their political beliefs or their views on masks or their views on vaccines, and I feel bitterness 
and hatred and disdain for people who don't agree with me on those things, even though they share a bond in Christ with me, and we were both purchased by the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ purchased my brothers and sisters in the church, the blood of Christ, the perfect man purchased your life and my life. And even though we share that bond and we're siblings and heirs of God in Christ, if I have disdain and hatred for those people, I would say there is, I would say there's something very wrong today and that repentance must happen tonight, tonight before further devastation ensues. And devastation has happened in the church in 2020 when the storm came when the when the when the battle came when the armies came for asa it was not devastation it was salvation his faith in god led to the salvation of those around him now the rest of asa's story revolves around two messages that God gave him through two different prophets at two very different times. One message is encouraging and one message is rebuking. And remember, the Bible's telling one story. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, preach the word. Whose word? God's word. Preach the word. Be prepared in season. And out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with patience and careful instruction. Calvary Chapel, this is a, my word to you, and this, is, this was God's word to me. Our pastor's first and foremost duty, this is their first duty, this is why God has called them, is to seek God and to speak God's word to us in season and out of season. They're not supposed to preach what's popular, what's new, what feels good to me, what feels good to him, what feels good to you know anyone in particular. He's required by God to preach the word of God. And sometimes this means he's preaching the word of God in season, right? People are open. To the sermon. They're responding positively. They're nodding. Wow, yes, that's true. They're turning to their neighbor. Man, that is a great point. That is so true. They're, they're saying, Amen, hallelujah. You know, they're moved, they're crying, right? Like that, that is that is a, the zone for a preacher. That's like sweet fruit in season. The word goes out. That's as good as it gets. And it is his sweet duty to seek the Lord and to speak sweet words that fall on soft and ready hearts, to speak words that just light the hearts of the people of the congregation of the people of God on fire. It's not wrong to teach in this way. It's amazing. It's amazing to speak it and it's amazing to receive it. Once again, it's weird to me. I, don't, I have no idea if people are hearing this 
and are like, wow, Sam, you're saying something that I agree with, or, you know, Sam, that, you know, what you're saying is terrible, right? I'm speaking to this green dot that's on the top of my computer. I wish that I could see you. I'm hoping in faith that God is speaking to you. But, you know, in season, it's amazing to receive it. It's amazing to speak it. And this is what Asa receives in chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. The word of God uh, comes, to, comes to Asa through a prophet. In, in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Benjamin and Judah. The Lord is with you. And when you are with it, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they returned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him and he was found by them. And in verse 7, he says, But as for you, be strong, do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Remember, Hebrews 11.4. God exists, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's the same story. This is amazing preaching to be under right? It's God's word. And you can imagine Asa and the whole kingdom, everyone listening and just being inspired and just zealously desiring to serve God all the more to know that everything they've been doing, that's the right, they've been doing the right thing. And now they're seeing the fruit of it today. They just beat this. They just saw God come through for them on the battlefield. God is coming through for them. And what happens in verse 8? What's, what's the reaction? What's Asa's reaction? When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns that he captured from the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in the, the front of the portico of the Lord's temple in verse 10. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. In verse 15, and all Judah rejoiced about the oath that they had, because they had sworn it wholeheartedly, they sought God, they sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Wonderful, sweet word. Asa was inspired. The people were inspired. The leader and his people together they detested the sin in their lives and the sin in the land, and they got rid of it, and they worshiped God with just overflowing joy. And I love verse 12. 
they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart. And then verse 15 again, and they all rejoiced because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They entered this covenant to seek God because they wanted to. They saw God at work and they were like, there's nothing. There is nothing better than what we're, than where we are right now. Calvary Chapel, I want this for us. Just a fiery, passionate, uniting love that produces explosive works, eternal fruit. And we just can't help but take over the world for Christ. It, we, you know, that, that we're, we're, and it's not just that, and I, I don't even want this, that it's just in my life, but that we're all doing it together. I don't just want to be in love with God. I want to be in love with all of you. And that our, our hearts just overflowing, just bursting with love for God, that all, for everything that he's done in our lives through, through Christ, that, that that love would bind us together and that we would change the world together, just like Asa and Judah did. They heard this word and they, they were like, yes, yes, yes. And this, I just believe it. I believe it. This is what God wants for you. This is what God wants for our church. I believe it. I believe he wants it for us. Are we tired? Are we tired of being lonely and powerless feeling maybe and of, of feeling weird about that person over there and that person over there, right? I'm, I'm afraid that 2020 showed us how far away from this we can be. But we can return. We can go to that place of just bursting love, right? There's never, ever a time ever where it's too late. As long as we're fogging a mirror, as long as we're breathing, there's never a time where it's too late to repent and return to God and to experience this this spiritual and communal and even physical ecstasy. I really like the word. There's some words that I think really punch. And I really love the word ecstasy. It's so extreme and wild. I, I, the definition, the def, some definitions for the word ecstasy are an overwhelming feeling of happiness and joyful excitement. And then the one right below that is an emotional, religious, even trance-like state, often involving an experience of mystic self-transcendence. That sounds weird, but I, I don't even think that that's weird. The experience that God is real. And that he loves you and he loves me. The experience that we are totally united with Christians in prayer. When you're totally united with Christians in prayer. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you feel like you're all connected together to God. And like your heart and your soul and your brain are just on fire. This is extreme and wild. Delight.
the in the ex, the experience of knowing I am doing exactly what I was destined to do, what God intended me to do. I'm speaking the words that I'm supposed to be speaking, even though I didn't prepare them. They're coming from 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 above. They're coming from somewhere else. Some people take drugs. That's the third definition. Some the name of a drug. Some people take drugs to find spiritual ecstasy, and it fades in a few hours. But Calvary Chapel, Christian, God does not want to hold back ecstasy from you. And the ecstasy that comes from God, Asa, and all of Judah experienced it 24-7. Every day of every week, it was overwhelming, all-consuming and he will give it to you. And he's given it to some of you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And some of you wish that you could know what this is like. It's real. It is real. God is real. And he has this for you. And look what it does. Look what it does to, to your life. Look how it changes your life. In verse 16, it says that King Asa even deposed his grandmother, Maka, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down, broke it up, and burned it in the river Kidron. Asa is so in love here. He is so overwhelmed by God's goodness, by his love for God, by his faith in God, by his love for his people, that when he finds out that his own grandmother, his nana, his grand-grand, what do you call your grandmother, right? How's your relationship with her? She's this nice old lady. But when his own grandma is worshiping another god, he's like, no, no, you're out. There, my relationship with you isn't even close. Grandma, how close? You know, I'm, I love both of my grandmas so much, all right? But he's like, grandma, there's nothing that's going to get in the way of what I've got. He's like, you're, you're, you're out. And this, and this idol is, is being turned into ash, right? There's nothing that this ecstasy, this pleasure, this love that is springing from faith. There's nothing, there's nothing that I would trade it for. Not even her, not even for grand grand, right? Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. How beautiful and how powerful that word that was spoken to Asa and to the people had, how, be, how powerfully it had worked upon his life and upon the life of the people. And what happened? There was no more war. This is verse 19. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. That's 25 years of peace. What can you, I'm 28 years old. I have no idea what that even means. 25 years of peace. Our country has been at war basically my whole life. There's political infighting and people hating each other. Can you imagine 25 years of peace? That's, it's like basically heaven. (laughs) I mean, I know, I know it's not, I know it's, I know heaven is better, but like, that's, that's what heaven is like. 25 years of peace. From a, from a word spoken in season, 
received by Asa and by the people. What about a word out of season? Let's see how Asa handled it. Remember, this is the 35th year, 25 years have passed. And I'll summarize, this is in chapter 16. I'll summarize verse 1 through 6. There's a military and political threat coming from the northern tribe of Israel. Israel uh, initially, Israel was one nation, and the, the, the northern nation was 10 nations. It was bigger. It split off, and the southern nation was smaller. It was in the south. That's where Asa's from, from Judah and Benjamin. And in the 35th year of his reign, the northern tribe is coming down to attack. But it's not as big. The army is not as big as the one that came from Egypt. Um, and, but instead of turning to God, of trusting in God like he had before, instead of doing that, Asa got a large amount of gold and sent it to the king of Aram, a foreign nation, and he said, I'm paying you this money to protect me. And after the whole affair was done, and it worked, the king of Aram was like, I'll take your money. And he, he went and, you know, was given the business to the, to the northern tribe, and they left the southern tribe alone. Then they took the money and went back home. And after the whole affair was done, God sent a prophet to Asa again. This is in verse 7 of chapter 16. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. He wanted to let... To let uh, Asa defeat this other king. So he says, because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet, you, yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. And verse 10, Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. This is a word out of season. This is a word that you don't want to hear. This is, this is not fruit that's sweet. This is fruit when it's sour and it's bitter. And what, 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 how, how do I react? How do you react when the preacher is saying, repent, repent for the sin in your life? When the preacher is calling you out, is rebuking you, is correcting you. And by the way, when a preacher is preaching from the pulpit, no one has told them about your life. That is just God doing that. And he's the mouthpiece. Now, in this particular case, 
Hanani is talking directly to Asa. So it can happen one-on-one -on -one or it can happen from the pulpit. It doesn't, and it's probably more uncomfortable when you're sitting across from your pastor, from your preacher, and they're rebuking you and calling you out and correcting you. What's our natural, our natural, in, our natural instinct is just, just curl up, you know, curl up in Ace's case, just punch back. Right? How much of this last year has felt out of season? Just hard. Calvary Chapel, when when your pastors are making what, what about when our pastors are making decisions for our church or speaking to us either directly, personally, or or, or from the pulpit? They're making decisions that oppose your beliefs about the pandemic, about politics, about vaccines, about masks, about our country's reckoning with race. What, what happens when we disagree? When we, when, when, uh, no, 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 you know? In Asa's case, he was sinning. Let me issue this warning to us all. Like it or not, it's kind of weird to say this, but it's true. Our pastors and elders, they are our prophets. Prophets. Hanani and Azariah, that's our, the, 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 the prophets who spoke to Asa. We have prophets in our lives. They are seeking God and speaking God's word to us and they haven't made one decision lightly during this pandemic and i would caution every believer do not think that it is a light thing to oppose the shepherds that god has given us it is a serious thing it is often a foolish and dangerous thing to do and Asa did not like what God's prophet had to say this time. So he came against him hard. He canceled him. He threw him in jail. And he oppressed anyone who said otherwise, who agreed with the prophet, who disagreed with his reaction. He was angry. He was stubborn. And in his anger and his stubbornness, people died. I've said this before. I said this before earlier. Our, our, our actions have life or death consequences for salvation or for damnation. Will our unity during a pandemic prove, prove to the unbeliever that God is real, that Jesus is alive, and that the Holy Spirit is moving in our church, in our body. Will our unity prove that? An unbeliever looks and says, I know that God is real, not because I did the research, not because I, you know, even had a, a voice come from God, but because I see God working in this church. Jesus says that. Remember, it's the same story. He says, they, the world, 
They will know me by your love for each other. Not through your preach, not through your, you know, your preaching and your evangelizing. Those things are necessary and those things are commanded, actually. But that, but Jesus said, through your love for each other, or will our disunity and bitterness and even hatred that has for each other confirm to the unbeliever their their suspicions that God isn't real and that Christians are just like everyone else salvation or damnation life and death the hard part is about this particular part of the story is I don't know what happened to Asa that caused this change, right? It, it's so hard to imagine the man who was just a blazing, fiery, passionate man leading his people in obedience. And, and he was doing that for years. That It's so hard to imagine that that man would throw a prophet in jail. I mean, he already didn't trust in God in the first place. Something had gone wrong. Maybe he got comfortable and, and stopped seeking the Lord. The scripture doesn't say what happened. I know that our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus needs to be tended daily. Spending daily time in prayer, in worship, and in the word of God. And just like a garden, if we stop tending that relationship, stop letting Christ wash us, and prune, and pluck out the weeds, um, and feed us, then bad things happen. Things that we can't take back, life or death things. When people die, they're dead. They're dead. They can't, you know, these people that Asa oppressed, you know, bitterly, that he killed maybe, they're gone. There's nothing that can, that he, you know, if he regretted it later, it doesn't say he regretted it later, but if he did, you know, it's, it's, it's too late. The stuff that has happened, happened. And five years later after this, he dies. Doesn't say that like he was sorry. Um, the people honored him. They knew who he had been. So it's a bittersweet ending for, the, for us, for the reader. Right? It's not, not the perfect ending. But I'm encouraged by this because I'm not perfect, okay? I am not perfect. And there's not one person listening tonight who's, who can say that they've perfectly followed God. And we see this in the life and the story of Asa. The legacy of his life, you know, in in verse 2 of chapter 14, what is it? Simply, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. There's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no, well, he ended like this. God knew that Asa wasn't perfect. He knew Asa's heart. He knew Asa's weakness. He knew that he would fail even before he failed. But he knew that Asa loved him. He knew. And this is grace. That God can simply 
wipe away our failures and our weaknesses, and that he can simply say at the end of our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, well, you did a pretty good job, but there was all of this as well. It's no, you're covered by the blood of my son. You obeyed him in love. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I need to remember that. I need to remember that when there's a brother, a brother or a sister that is driving me crazy. And I am just sure that they are sinning against me and they are raging against the church and against the preaching of the word and against the ministry of the church. And they're saying, oh, you're going too far, too far to the left or you're going too far to the right. And part of me wants to say, well, there goes all those good years. You know, they, they had a good run, but it's all over now. This trumps everything that God has done in their life up until now. But I'm glad that God says of Asa, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. And I have hope. I can have hope that God can redeem every believer's life, even the ones who are messing up now, the ones who have messed up before, the ones who will mess up in the future, that he, I can have hope that he will redeem their life, that he can and does redeem their life. He's already given us his son. How will he not freely give us all things? And I can have peace that God will redeem this season of our lives as difficult as it may be.